same way I figured out. Not a big deal right now. Let's pray together this morning. We come before you, the great and the living God, and we recognize that you are in control, you are sovereign over all things, that you are God. You're over our days, you're over our hours, you're over our minutes, over our seconds. So even as we, we see all these things going on around us, we trust you. We look to you. We know that you know the end from the beginning. And so we look, even as the woman in Proverbs 31, we look at the future and smile because of you. Amen. Not because of us, not because of our efforts, not because of anything that we can do, but because of you. And so we come this morning leaning on you, the everlasting and the eternal and the powerful, the omniscient God. And so we look to you and we need you in every way. And so we pray that you would, you would help us this morning. Even as we, we recognize and we see that we do indeed depend on you for everything. For life and breath and all things. At your word, all this would be done. Even as the author of Hebrews says that everything is upheld by the word of the Son. And so we recognize that we are dependent on you in everything and in every way. And so we come with that heart this morning. We need you. So spur on our hearts, Lord. Help us to hope in you this morning. Whatever may be going on, whatever maybe going on in our lives and our, what's happened this week even, things that we may be thinking through, struggling through, wrestling with, joys that we've experienced, may we look to you still in them all. May our hope be in you unswervingly. And so we pray this morning, may we seek your face. And may you help us as we go to your word to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Haggai. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. You probably were thinking I was going to say the Gospel of John. Not this week. We finished it last week, and so we are moving 
forward. We're moving on to another book we'll be studying for really a very brief amount of time. There's only two chapters. And so we'll be looking at Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Now, Haggai is the third book from the end of the Old Testament. You know, if we begin with Jonah, it goes Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, end of the Old Testament. So hopefully that helps you. And if you still can't find it, look in the table of contents and you could find it real quick. So I want to encourage you to that. Well, I'll begin there in verse 1 of Haggai chapter 1. May we indeed receive the word of the Lord this morning. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the, in, in, by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves. But no one is warm, and he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, and the hills, and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast. And all their labors. So as I've been looking and considering this passage and studied this passage this week, just to be honest with you, I found these verses especially convicting. Now this week, many of you know, we were able to close on our house. And so we... It's not far away. It was across the street. And many of you very well know, as you joined us yesterday in moving everything from our one house to across the street, including a piano. And uh, thank you all for your help in doing that. I'm sure your backs and legs are all hurting this morning. But thank you for that. And I know I'm immensely grateful for you and immensely grateful that we are now in our new home and we know it is certainly an answer to our prayers. Yet as I've studied these verses, you know, they've continually 
called me to consider myself. Now, of course, I would be a no good pastor if I were preaching and teaching and exhorting you and yet not applying the word of God to my own soul, right? And so naturally, that ought to be happening anyway, right? Each Sunday, prior to each Sunday, I am there preaching it to myself and And that is exactly what I aim to do each week, is that before I bring this to you, I'm really preaching it to myself all week long. You know, Lord, help me. (laughs) Help me in these things. Help me to be these ways. Help me to be in all of you and worship you and glorify you. However, this week was especially convicting. It was directly related to Haggai's points. Here that we're going to see this morning. Now before I get to that, how it was convicting, we just have to wait and wonder. But before I get there, for now we need to know what in the world is going on here, right? <laughs> we need to get a handle on the book of Haggai. You know, sometimes when we come to the Old Testament, we're like, what is this strange thing, you know? <laughs> The Old Testament, what do I do with that? It's some foreign object that we don't quite know what to do with. So we need to understand then, first off, what is the context of this book? Because, hopefully you've heard me say it before, context is everything. So we need to know what's going on here. Well, we're told here, in verse 1, the immediate context, however... ...that may or may not mean a lot to you, you know. I mean, who are all these people that, you know, are being mentioned here at the beginning of Haggai? You know, Darius. You know who that is, right? Maybe, (laughs) you know. Haggai, okay, we got that. That's the prophet. You know, Zerubbabel. Joshua. Oh, yeah, I got Joshua. He's the guy who led the people of Israel into the promised land. Not that Joshua. This is the high priest well after the time of Joshua who led the people of Israel into the promised land. So who in the world are all these folk? Well, I'm not going to go through all their names today. But they are mightily important, as we'll see. But first off, we'll start with that first name. This book is set during the reign of King Darius. Who is that? Well, that was the Persian king. Now, right there, if you know history, you already know a lot. (laughs) You know know where this is probably going to be oriented in history. And so that means, just from that right there, this book, it comes after Moses. You probably knew that. But it comes after King David. King David is no longer alive. It comes after Solomon, David's son. He's no longer alive. And so much has happened up to this point. And so this book, it is written post-exile. And again, maybe you have no idea what that means. (laughs) Let me tell you. So you see, after Solomon, David's son... The kingdom of Israel divided, becoming two kingdoms. Kingdom of Israel, kingdom of Judah. But there was a problem. They were not obedient to God. 
And that continued. Very sadly, their kings, one after another, rebelled against God again and again. And as we see, so went the king, so went the people. And so if the king was sitting there bowing down to false gods and worshiping them, he would lead all the people in bowing down to these false gods and worshiping them. And right there by itself, I mean, there's implications abound, right? For me, as your pastor, for the church leaders at Haven Baptist Church, for you as parents, husband, wife, and how you impact your children, governors, presidents of the United States, implications abound. But that's not where we're going here. But we see that here, and one by one, those kingdoms fell, the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, they were judged by God for breaking his covenant, and they were sent out into exile. Judged by God. So at this point then, following the decree of the Persian king, King Cyrus, in 538 BC, which God foretold in exactly the manner it would come about, even mentioned King Cyrus's name hundreds of years before King Cyrus ever even came about. And so it came, he brought an edict, King Cyrus and the people of God were allowed to go back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. And so here, post-exile then, they are no longer in exile. Now they are under the reign of this guy, King Darius, (laughs) the Persian king. And so we see where they are, what's going on here, and one more component that's important is Ezra chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. You can turn there or not. I'm not going to read it. But it's also important here for the context. So it tells upon the people of Israel returning out of exile. The excitement is all there. And they begin laying the foundation for the temple. But they don't complete it. And 16 years go by. No temple built. And so, with that being the case, a question we would be right to ask. What is up with that? (laughs) Why did they not rebuild the temple? And so God's temple is there, left unbuilt, and no one sees this problem. Except for Haggai and Zechariah. And so comes this word from the Lord to Haggai, and we see that the time has come. But that's not quite what the people were thinking, was it? <laughs> so verse 2, they say essentially, oh yeah, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> you know, I think we're kind of busy with things going on in our own lives. Mm, we're not quite ready for that. And so God's word comes to them at an inconvenient time. Immediately then, 
we see something is wrong with this picture. Here we see that their priorities are off. Essentially there in verse 2, they're saying, we don't have time for that, you know. And to that, we should just simply say, oh my, you don't have time for God, no. That should be our response. The temple was part of the old covenant picture that God was painting. A picture that goes from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It represented the very presence of God among them. And yet, what are they saying? They're saying, we're fine with or without God being with us. We are, thank you very much. And the building of God's temple is just simply too much for them right now. It's just too inconvenient. It's not fitting into their agenda. You know, it's not on their planner. It's not in their to-do list. Not in their timeline. So in other words, God was not on their agenda. God was not on their planner or timeline or timetable. And so they're saying, oh, sorry, my calendar is full. No time for God. No time for worship. Come back later. And at this point, as we look on this, over the terrain of our churches, conviction should be setting in. Are we perhaps even doing the same exact thing? Oh, sorry. I don't have time for God this Sunday. Oh, oh, sorry. I've got this and that going on. I'll come maybe once a month. Maybe twice. Maybe every few months. Maybe once a year. Ah, I don't have any time for that. I can worship God at home on my own. No time for God. No time for worship of God. And God is saying to them, that is not okay. And he's saying to us, that is not okay. And so it is then, it is inconvenient for them that this word is coming to them, yet his word was given at the right time. At the right time. So, his word came to them in a very specific way. So in the second year of Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month. Okay, thank you. <laughs> what is that? What is that? I mean, like, when was that? Well, let me tell you. August 29th, 520 B.C. Now, before you kind of just say to yourself, well, great planning, Pastor. <laughs> you know, look at you finishing the Gospel of John just in time. Now, honestly, I did not plan it this way. I didn't say I'm going to preach from Haggai just as the historical date arriving, August 29th, 2021. 
I wrestled and I prayed and thought about what book would be next. And so here we are. That's how we got here. And here's where this word just came like a hammer over me. You know, in the midst of my busy life, in the midst of your busy life, in the midst of, you know, all of us kind of being overwhelmed right now by everything, in the midst of going through your days, we need to see well that God, He is right now sovereignly orchestrating our days and times, and this word comes to us at just the right time also. How inconvenient. I didn't want to hear this today. How busy I am. I have no time for worship. No time for the Lord's day. No time for God. So maybe it is. Maybe it is a bit inconvenient for you or even us. But I just see the hand of God in this. So hear the word of the Lord and see how deeply we are in need of God. It may be that you have said, well, it's all rather inconvenient right now to be about the things of God. It's just not the right time for any of that. Oh, I got this going on and this going on and this going on. Let me tell you what God is saying. He is saying... Now is the time. I'm sorry I don't have... I'm sorry I don't fit into your schedule. I'm sorry to inconvenience you. But would you mind worshiping me like I call you to do? Right? So we need His Word. We need His presence. We need His power. We need Him. We need His church. And you need him now every one of us i'm not preaching this as better than you i'm preaching this along with you lord help me it makes me think of jesus and luke you know martha is there you know serving and busy what does Jesus say to her? And like, she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Get up, Mary. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And maybe you're here this morning and you're Martha. And before the word of the Lord, the best thing to do is just to be honest. Say, instead of excusing, well, yeah, this and that, that, but maybe it is that you're a Martha this morning. Well, God, he is saying, as Mary is there at his feet, he says, Mary has, Jesus, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. So God is the better portion, church. Christ is the better portion. It isn't all that other stuff. It is Christ. We need God in everything. And so it is then that we come 
to God's call here in verses 3 through 11. Rebuild. Rebuild. Now, as you hear that, I am not, when we are not coming to Haggai to start a, a building program for Haven. <laughs> That's not what this is about. No, no. We come to these verses in need of a building program in our hearts. And so God, He asks the people of Israel in verse 4, with a temple left unbuilt, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? And of course, we could we know this is talking about the temple, but we may well ask, while this temple lies in ruins, while my children's temple, <laughs> they lie in ruins, while our church lies not building, people lies in ruins. The people, they had neglected God's house, even God himself in the midst of their own pursuits. And now very real judgment has come upon the people. And they just came out of exile. And so they have done much, but they have accomplished little. They have done much, but accomplished little. They have ensured that they were living well. They had their jobs, they're comfortable in their paneled houses while neglecting what? The one thing that is necessary. And so what did God do? He declared a drought on the land, on the hills, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on the ground, on man and beast and upon all their labors. Work, 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 and no fruit. But it wasn't just a material drought. It was a drought of the soul. A drought of satisfaction in God. Joy in God. Treasuring of God above all things. Verse 6 says, You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. So this is more than just like a material sort of judgment here. They're, they do have these things. They do have food and they're eating it and they're still unsatisfied. Why? They need God. A drought of the soul, and so he calls them and he calls us then to do what? He calls us to consider our ways. He calls you and I to consider your ways. And so he is judging them. Now, yes, we are no longer living under the old covenant. Christ has come, he has brought out his new covenant. 
But let me tell you that God still judges and brings judgment still. Now, do we have, do we know exactly this is why this happened? You know, like this storm came because God did it? Well, no, because we haven't had a prophet come and say, yeah, that storm was from God, period. We don't know that. We can't say that if we're being honest with what Scripture says. But we can see that this judgment is still happening in the present tense. How? Romans 1. Romans 1.18, it says, where the wrath of God is revealed, present tense, right now, today, 2021, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Much of what is happening in our day may well be God's call for you and I to consider our ways. Are we really about God or just about ourselves? Got my house to take care of, my lawn. Me saying this as one who just bought a house. No time for God. We may say, well, I don't know if God would judge us today, would he? Well, wouldn't he? Romans 1. We aren't just to kind of keep God's word at arm's length, you know? Like, I'll just keep it at a distance and it, you know, that way it doesn't really affect me, but I can still say I'm a Christian and I can kind of just kind of follow it and kind of say, yeah, I agree with that. But when it comes to actually like living it out, letting it affect my thinking, my life, my philosophy, my worldview, my children and everything else, uh, maybe not. We aren't to do that. We are to see that God's word, it is real, it is living, and is active, it is piercing to the soul. And we need that. As believers in Jesus Christ, we need that. We need God just to show us our sins, convict us, and Lord, I want to be more like Christ. I want my life to be yours. I want to worship you. I want to live in all I do for your glory. So yeah, show me. Show me every area. And so this, this may well be you. It may be that you're floundering because, and we are floundering because we need to hear this word at such a time as this. Perhaps behind your angst, behind those anxious souls, behind those fears that are so great, is this. Is our indifference. Which was what Israel was. They were indifferent. You might be here, not be here. This is just a thing you do on Sundays. That's indifference. You sing the songs, but don't sing the songs. You know? Just the rhythm. It may be that, or it may be something else. Maybe busyness. 
I mean, we are indeed living in busy days. I get that. Yes. I think everyone in this room, if I went one by one, you would say, yeah, I'm busy. Yeah, I'm busy. Yeah, I'm busy. I'm busy too. We're all busy here, right? When a recent article, a pastor and author, David Mathis, he writes this. He says, to-do lists seem to grow faster than we have time for. We hurry in the morning, hurry on the road, hurry at work, hurry between meetings and in meetings and over meals, hurry to get dinner ready, hurry to eat, hurry to get the kids cleaned up and out the door and get back home and get to bed, and then hurry to do more on evenings and weekends than we, really, we realistically have time for. And then we hurry to bed ourselves, get too little sleep, and start it all over the next day. Is that almost everybody here? Just thinking of how we try to get our, you know, do family worship, get the kids to bed after family worship's done, you know, and, and kind of move from one thing to the next, you know. So busyness or along similar lines, it might be distraction. Distraction. We have no break from work, right? I mean, especially today. Now it's following us home, right? We have our smartphones. How handy, you know? I love my smartphone. It's very helpful. What that also means is you take work home with you in the emails and the texts and the Zoom meetings. There's no time for rest. It's all just work. And if it's not that, we have Facebook, we have Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, you know, Netflix, uh, Hulu, Disney Plus, and more to distract us. And now I'm not decrying all those things. I use many of those things. But do you see the issue? No rest. We're always distracted. We're physically and mentally overloaded with our souls in need of God. We don't need all those other things. But we do need God. We do need His Word. And we do need His people. Those are three things not optional for the Christian. And so here we come back to an inconvenient truth. This morning. It is inconvenient for us, right? I don't have time for that. (laughs) But Haggai's word is for us today. It may well be inconvenient, but we need it, friends. Our souls are languishing. They're just struggling so much. Examine your own. How are you doing? Spiritual drought has ensued. And it's over our land and over our churches. And maybe over you as well. Could it be that we too are being judged for our neglect of the living God? But we need him and I need him. How busy we can all be. How distracted we are. How much our souls can be weighed down by so much, yet what are we to do? What did Jesus say? There is one, one, one thing needful 
We need God. We need restore kingdom priorities. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Verse 8. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. And so we have here a call to action, an action this will require. Yet this action isn't oriented away from God. It is oriented towards God. It, is aimed, it isn't aimed at pleasing men. I've got to get everyone to just you know, accept me or you know, get all these things done so that I can please all these people around me. It's not going with a cultural trot, tide or looking to what again and again leaves our souls barren and dry. It's none of those things. This is a call aimed at God. Even as we see here, I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So we are to aim at His pleasure. Isn't that just a relief right there? His pleasure, His honor, His glory. And there is your answer, church. There is your answer. God is your hope. And so are you anxious? Are you downtrodden? Are you weak? Are you needy? Are you fearful? Are you overwhelmed? Are you struggling? Are you undone? Well, hear His word this morning. His word is for you. Consider your life. Consider your days. Consider your times. This may well be an inconvenient word for you, but it is needed one nonetheless. And our call is to respond to it this morning. So C.T. Studd, he said it so well. We would do well to listen to him this morning as we are wrestling with busy lives. Wrestling with anxious souls. He says, only one life, only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, "Twas worth it all. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so hear God's call this morning, church. Hear his call and orient your life towards that kingdom. Towards the kingdom that lasts. Let's pray together. Father, we come just amazed at you. August 29th. You are calling us to take heed to these words. 
not in some future day, but in our day. How big of a mess we're in. How many are fighting and struggling and conflict and bitterness and struggle of soul and mind. Oh Lord, help us to set your kingdom as highest above all. We have our jobs. We have our homes. We have our children. We have all these things. But you call us to this one thing that's needful. If we would say, and we do often say, these priorities, you know, God, family, church. Well, where are, where are our priorities? So help us, Father. We, we look to you and ask for your grace right now that you would help us because that each one of us here fall into this category. And so we ask that you would help us to make the worship of you, God, primary. Seeking your pleasure, seeking your glory above all things. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ this morning, they may respond to your word because judgment is coming. And all this will be wrapped up and they'll have to give an answer. But Christ has come to save sinners. May they repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. May you help us to examine our lives and obey your word and consider our ways, Lord. Help us, Father, to respond. That means we just cry out to you, God, right here as we're praying together or coming forward and crying out to you from these steps or whatever else. May we respond to your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name.